Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. So my name is Tom. I have the privilege of being one of the leaders here at this church. And um, if you have a Bible, could you turn to the Gospel of Mark? There's a few church Bibles lying around, the brown hardback ones if you haven't got one. Um, We are working our way through the amazing Gospel of Mark. Uh, our title for this series is Just Jesus. Not that Jesus is a small thing, oh, it's just Jesus, but we just felt in these strange days in which we've been living in this nation, so much turmoil, so much confusion, so much deconstruction, some of that good, some of that not so good. We just felt we just wanted to get back to Jesus. And if you may be someone here and you may not say you're a, you have a Christian worldview and um, Often, actually, it's the sort of secondary things that can distract us from the real heart of the Christian message, which is ultimately about a person, about Jesus Christ, and and who he was and Christians believe is today. So today we're going to look um, at uh, a a very fascinating story um, that I, if you don't know it, uh, you know, buckle up. There's some interesting little um, phrases here. We're going to have a little bit of a light discussion as well, so just prepare yourself for that. We like to be interactive, not just, you know, listening to someone talk. But who, would anyone here like to read for me, nice and loud, and it'll come up on the screen, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 to 30. So just six short verses. Anyone here? Just so it's not me doing it all. Mark chapter 7. I say Matthew. Sorry. Not enough coffee. <clears throat> um, okay. Ryan, I hear that. Ah, you're up. Can you read Mark 7, 24 to 30? The Syrophoenician woman. <laughs> Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrophoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, with such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Wow. She went home oh. and found her child lying <laughs> in the bed. And the demon was gone. Thank you, Ryan. Beautifully read. Sorry about my interruption. Got a bit enthe- enthusiastic. Wow! <laughs> Just bubbled out. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into groups of around about four. So back line there, perhaps you guys, you know, you can do the math. Let's get into fours. And I'm going to let you pick. Can I have a woo? 
Woo. I'm going to let you pick one of two questions. What does this passage tell you about God? Or what does it tell you about people? Okay, so just pick one as a group and spend three minutes talking about that question. Go. One more minute. Okay, everybody. If I can draw you back to over here. I hope that was helpful. Let's just have a little bit of feedback. Um, what about this group nearest the door? Any, uh, any thoughts? Ryan, what did you think? Yeah, my friend. Any, anything jump out for you? Right. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. So if he was saying, "I'm not really meant to be sort of focused on you just yet," how come he then ends up doing it? Great question. I won't try and solve that one. Um, what about this group? Right, love that. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, she wasn't ashamed. She was bold. Um, she was upfront about her desires. I love that you spotted that. I'm gonna pick up on that in just a moment. But I that struck that definitely struck me as well. She knew what her desires was, and she felt comfortable bringing them to this mystery man who perhaps she didn't know that much about. I don't know. Um, how about uh, Billy and Winnie? Um, the, it says a lot of people, and this little story actually reminds me of Perfect. Yes. Preach it, sister. Yeah, I so much in there, yeah. We also, we also just implied that the daughter had a demon. Mm. People can have a demon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in that in that one statement which we don't I don't think gets talked about a lot in the West, right? Uh, maybe it's just my experience, but yeah, we can of course we assume that, but absolutely right. How does that intersect with mental health and you know just physical uh, sicknesses and there's a whole sermon series on that one um, but absolutely yeah how about which where was the other group I don't quite you a, a six grace to you grace to you what about the six any any key points that came up Yeah. Jesus to like heal her, uh, her daughter. 
Right. She's like, well, wow. even the, the dogs even the That's so good. Yeah, that's, right. that's what he responded to. Wow. Yeah, like Jesus was responding to her Greek ethnicity as being like lower than God's children, the Israelites. Yeah. That's huge. That's a wonderful insight. Yeah, fantastic. Um, this four here. Hey Shannon, nice to meet you. Oh great! Oh, we love Oregon. Oh yeah. In Corvallis, is that in Corvallis? Oh, we love Corvallis. Yeah, we even bought the rain for you just to make you feel at home, like Oregon. Little taste of Oregon there for you. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's sunny now. Yes. Right. good i love that wow brilliant i mean it's so there's like six verses and there's just these huge theological meaty stakes what about this group here were you one group yeah, i don't know if we have anything new different to add except we really noticed her persistence yes well. yeah and her faith in that but yeah. i think also that um as a greek woman coming to ask a man's teacher uh yeah. that's like, yeah. um, for her faith as not a you know as a Greek woman to yeah. do that um, maybe she understood something about Jesus that the Jews weren't understanding love that and that point about her faith is what the kids are particularly focused on and of you parents so um, I love that particularly as you say in the context of all the hurdles of the socio-economic and ethnic barriers it's extraordinary final comment from the group in the corner the sofa gang Anything else to add, or has it all been covered? I love it when you say all the points I'm going to mention. This is so, I'm like, oh good, I wasn't imagining it. Yes. Can I just, I, know, I don't want to become, I just love the way that we do this. Don't you just love it? Hearing all of these, and just, listen, the Bible, you ultimately don't need anyone else. You do not need me. You, you, it's you, God, Bible. Hallelujah. Now we believe in community. That's, you know, that's, that's the dream. But just so you know, I mean, this is a big reason why we don't just talk at you. We want to hear from what the Spirit is saying in you. So I just love it. I just love it. It makes me so excited. Um, I just want to, when, when you look at this passage, what first of all is really obvious is there is so much in here, right? There's so much in this simple story. 
you could look at the re- reality of the spiritual realm, okay? It talks about the spirit realm. Uh, a lot of my non-Western friends from the global south where the church is exploding, when they look at the Western church and, they, and I say, what's the biggest thing we're missing? They all say the reality of the spiritual realm. You Westerners are secret rationalists and materialists. You think everything is actually about what you can measure and see. You don't really think about the reality of the spiritual realm and evil and etc. So there's a whole thing we could talk about there. We, obviously, the demonization element is a hugely underspoken about topic, um, which we could, have, we could look at. The fact that Jesus quietly has authority is a huge theme over everything, including demons. And the fact that Jesus really cares I think if you were to look at this passage through the art, one of the one of the great things to do when you look at the Bible is to think what eyes and what eyes am I looking at this through? So, for example, if you look at it through the eyes of the original readers, who were probably Roman Christians, non-Jewish Christians, they would have been shocked that this Jew was going to these non-Jews. He goes to this place Tyre in Sidon. That was the sworn enemies of Israel. So Jesus is going to like, think of your absolute worst enemy. Now, I know none of you have enemies. But, you know, if you're politically one persuasion, for example, think of someone who is the opposite. Jesus is going to that camp and hanging out there. And he talks to a woman, which in those days was not normal. And she's Greek. So one, one level, if you look at it through this lens, for Jews reading this, or the, the, the original readers, it would have been very shocking. Diversity. And yet unity is a big theme. I think if you looked at it through the lens of Jesus, he may well have been pretty shocked by this woman at her faith. I think that's a legitimate lens to look at this through. But the lens I found myself captivated, actually, was looking at this story through the Syrophoenician woman's lens herself. What would have it felt like to be this unnamed woman in this moment? And I found myself kind of captivated by it. And my attempt to summarize what I think, when she got home that night, and if she was married, when she tried to explain to her husband what the heck just happened, my best attempt is this, one little sentence summary is, she probably felt like she received so much from someone she knew so little. It's just one slice of understanding. That's what spoke to me. I I think she would have been like, my deepest longing. Not not some surface secondary desire. My deepest longing in my guts, in my bones, for my daughter, my little daughter, it says. Little daughter, a little phrase. Stressing how weak she was. For her to be set free from a demon has happened. And I don't even really know who this guy was. And that last point, I, I don't totally know, but when you look at how Mark is stressing so far, he, you know, Jesus picks the disciples by name and they have access to him. And he's stressing sometimes the access and the known element of the disciples. The fact that we do not know her name and she's miles away from where Jesus normally is, it makes us conclude she probably didn't actually know that much about this guy. It seems like she just heard on the street there's this guy in town and, and her desperation and faith got her there. But I love this, this central idea that she was someone who received so much from someone she knew so little. Can we just say that together? That top sentence just so it gets into our being. One, two, three. She received so much 
from someone she knew so little. Okay, so let's just let's unpack that. Why am I arguing that? And because if it's true, you know, this is kind of good news. You know, Jesus says it's actually good news that I'm here. I'm not here to give you another heavy burden in your life where already as a human you're surrounded by the message you can only get the really big stuff in life the big salary the big position the big thing if you really put in loads of work and you really put in the time right americans can I have an amen yeah. yeah yeah preach that work ethic tom and all the brits here as well we have our equivalent you know that's the world that we live this is a story of grace a stunning grace and now there's some you know, controversy in there with the words that we'll look at. But basically, I think she would have got home like, my daughter's free! Frank! Frank, open the door! <laughs> Betty is free! <laughs> or we know that she got home and, and the daughter was just like, what happened? It's this beautiful picture of grace. And I want to say this, if you perhaps are not a Christ follower and you think, what do these Christians believe? Isn't it about trying hard and being, no, we're a mess! Any Christian here who would be honest enough to, we are a mess. We don't know much about God. Really? Come on, let's be honest. We're trying our best. But the older I get, the more I think, I think I thought I knew Jesus. I was quite confident 10 years ago. And now 10 years later, I'm like, do I really know him? Right? And this is like, it's okay. You can be real about that. Because you can still have faith to receive so much, so much, your deepest longings from someone really we know so little. So let me just argue this and then we will respond. We'll sing a psalm, we'll break bread and we'll come to an end. First of all, I think, I think there's two bits to this. I think from the text we see her knowledge of self was notable. But also her knowledge of Jesus was notable as well. First of all then, why do I say that? I think there's two things that we see in her that are not automatic in us that make a difference. I think she was aware of her desires but I think she was also aware of her darkness or what I mean by that is her brokenness her limits her smallness okay Um, and I think those two together seem to have been crucial as to how Jesus looked at her and was like whoa I can't ignore you because those two are in play. So let me just show you what I mean. First of all, she was aware of her desires. Now, this has already been said, but just look at the Greek here, or the, or the, the English and the Greek behind it in verse 25, 26. As soon as she heard about him, as soon, there's an urgency, classic Mark, right? He's always in a rush. Immediately. And then, and blah, 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 Mark writes in that way, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit fell, she came and fell at his feet. She was Greek, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So the first thing we see is there is an urgency because she is in touch with her desire. The other side of desire is nearly always some kind of pain. It's funny that, isn't it? Pain and desire are kind of the same coin. If you think about any desire you might have, you might desire to be married if you're single. Um, You might be... You might be married and desire for things to be better in your marriage if you're married. You might have kids and desire for things to be different with your kids. Or you may have no kids and you desire kids. Nearly always there's this relationship between desire positively and, as it were, pain negatively. And for her, she's 
I love this sense of self, if I can put it in psychological language. She has a strong sense of self, doesn't she? Yes, she, she gets on her, on her knees, as it were, she gets out and she begs, but there's no sense of her cowering. There's this, this first thing I want us to see is she was boldly and sort of safely aware that this mysterious person was still someone who wanted to know actually what was going on in her. Now maybe this is really obvious, but it's worth saying, Jesus actually sees you as profoundly important. Don't miss that, my friends, because most of us grow up, in fact, all of us grow up, even with the best parents and the most lovely family, having a very real mix of communication. We all grow up somewhat not really feeling seen. That's why Instagram is such a huge boom, right? You just look, everyone wants to be seen. And that's not wrong. What we see here is though, she seems to be confident that this mysterious person is a safe place, a sanctuary, where she can come and just talk about her desires. Now think about this. This is her most vulnerable desire. Something that would have had some shame around it in that culture. I mean, think about it. You know, not just my daughter is struggling. My, my daughter's demonized. I mean, think about that. Or someone close to you. I have a very close friend to me at the moment. And his teenage daughter is on the edge of death because of anorexia. It's absolutely horrendous. And his wife last week was found by the police probably in an attempt to take her own life and if I was to say to him like you know what is your deepest longing (laughs) I know what he would say now I'm not trying to claim that there's a direct demonic link between what I've mentioned but we do know the Bible says that Satan is really real and he's the father of lies and I don't know the exact mechanics of how these things work out but my instinct is sometimes behind these awful lies that people get into their heads we know who is pumping them and that demonic stuff is is real right i don't understand it all exactly but it is in the bible and so if i was to say to my friend what's your deepest desire he would say for her to be set free and my wife to be free from that sense of crushing worry friends as you come today the first thing i want to say is what are those desires in your life what are those deepest pains that are saying to you uh, don't ignore me now I know this is a tender one because sometimes we can almost lose hope and we can just say it's easier Tom to just you know either fight or flight or freeze defrosting our hearts so they feel again it's really hard and so for her to say to him, to dare to believe, would you do this? And for us today to be like, you know, maybe there's things in your life, those deep longings that you have, you, you feel like you've asked Jesus already maybe. I feel like he's saying, my child, come to me again. Dare to believe, even in this moment, maybe the spirit is just bringing something up in your mind. Maybe it's a loved one who isn't quite in that place that you would love them to be. And you, you know, it's so painful. Or maybe it's just a work situation. 
or maybe a very real pain in terms of how things have worked in church life in the past or in the recent past or whatever it might be the first thing we see is she is someone who bravely felt that Jesus's presence was a place where her desires could be known I um, was at this like leaders course last year and the first month the question was what do you desire and it made me so angry I got so angry with that question and I don't even entirely know why but because partly as a Christian I thought that's a wrong question my desires are always wrong they're always sinful I can't trust my desire I've got to kill my desires and of course there are some things that are not good desires but in that mix there are things that the Lord does want us to come up and bring and even in this season as we start this new year and some of even the words that have come about springtime there is a sense of our father saying it's you can dare to dream with me he may not this side of glory give us everything we we hope for but what we see here in this woman is first step she was aware of her desires C.S. Lewis famously said you know God whispers in our pleasures and he speaks in our consciences but he screams and he shouts through our pains pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world so we start in this place where she's raw right but she does the right thing she finds her way through but the second thing that's so fascinating about her that caught my imagination was that she wasn't just someone in touch with her pain she was also happy to be called well maybe not happy but willing to be called a dog now bear with me I know you're like what this is extraordinary that this happens but it's, we've got to deal with it he obviously she comes forward she's in this place of tremendous pain and vulnerability but she has the courage to say to this mysterious guy you know will you help and then he says this at first very offensive weird Jesus why do you have to say that kind of <laughs> sentence thanks Jesus first let the children eat all they want he told her it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs look at her reply again Lord she replied even the dogs um, under the table eat the children's cr crumbs she enters the parable she puts it on you see it's the first time in the whole of the Gospel of Mark that someone has actually sort of understood the parable that Jesus is using again and again you know Jesus says it last week Joni, Joni mentioned Jesus calls them dull my dull disciples thank you that's my badge I'm a dull disciple I don't get it ever you know they have amazing access to Jesus all these men uh, these you know Jewish men tons of access to Jesus and they don't get anything it seems or very little and then there's this mysterious woman who comes right from the outskirts she's on the border you know she's not at the front of church she's barely made it in time she just comes in and she she so gets it right her faith gets her in the room it seems her pain desire faith but but then there's this amazing moment where when Jesus says this really offensive thing and just to slightly soften it apparently the Greek word for dog doesn't mean like street dog apparently it means pet so it's a little softer than we than we think and also Jesus isn't saying you you Gentiles can never get it you can never have access he's just talking about timing 
the plan of God was always first to Israel and then through Israel to everyone. He's always had everyone in his heart, but he was like, well, I've got a, we have the Trinity, we've got this plan. So there is, that, there is some logic in what he says. But ultimately, right, it's still a hard pill to swallow. But she swallows it. And she's like, oh, I'm a dog. Okay. Well, um, let's think about this. I'm not going to let you off. You know, even dogs get yummy crumbs. And it's just, you can imagine Jesus is like, Whoop! I love you. That's amazing. I mean, the humility of this woman to say, I'm going to enter this parable. I'm not going to take offense. Now, this is pretty important because, can I say this? There's things that Jesus says are way worse than this, often. Maybe you just get used to it if you read the Bible too much, or not too much, you know what I mean? If you read it a lot, you just go, oh yeah, he calls people evil. Of course he does. What? He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts. He calls the leaders of the day, you sons of the devil. There was a reason that they put Jesus on a cross. He was massively offensive. So although dogs is offensive, don't get me wrong, you cannot just go, oh, this is a strange blip in Jesus's... No, no, he was doing this all the time. Now, we've got to wrestle with this because particularly if you're like me and you have a secret high opinion of yourself, then I can struggle and be like, hey, Jesus, I'm quite a nice guy, actually. I'm not that evil, actually. I can show you some evil people. I am pretty kind. And I'm pretty, you know, anyone here dare to be honest that you, oh, just me then. Thank you for that. Leave me out to draw. Thank you, Ryan. Most humans struggle to go, yeah, I'm a dog. I'm evil. I'm a son of the devil. Or at least to hear those words and go, Lord, what, what is there in this for me? I know it's a different context, but is there anything in this message for me? And what's really important is, Stage one is getting in contact with your pain and your desires. What sometimes happens is we, we do get in contact with our pain and our desires, but then we just become victims in all of life. We become defined by that marriage that broke down or that dad that abused you or whatever it might be. And as horrendous as those things are, what is so remarkable about this woman is she is in touch with the deepest pain of her heart, but she is also able to go, but I know I'm also not perfect too. I know that, you know, I am not an Israelite. I'm just a dog. I'm just, I'm not perfect. So you see, when pain, you're alive to pain, the danger can be that it becomes our dominating victim, I am a victim, and therefore don't you dare tell me that I'm in any way to blame. I know I can get into that. I can be, feel very aware of my pain. And so the last thing I can naturally wanna do if I'm in pain is then have Jesus point out something about me. But you know, the word says God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children. You know, if you just flatter someone, that's a sign of your relationship being very shallow. Isn't it? Right? If you're just in a, oh yeah, you're great, love the skirt. So, yes, that's off your highs. But if you just stay, right? That's not a real relationship. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I'm I'm gonna test you a little bit because I I can heal your daughter, but I I wanna draw you into my purposes. 
And they're a little bit difficult sometimes for us to understand, but I'm going I'm to push this relationship to the next level. Do you see? I think there's a relational agenda with Jesus behind this controversial thing. Because I know, I, I challenged someone once recently, in fact, in this room, and I said to him this thing, and he said to me, a challenge, and he said, you know what? Thank you. I feel loved by you. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he was like, absolutely. You love me enough to point something out. And I hate conflict. So I was like, whoa. But I forced myself... And actually, I could tell that the Lord was in it. So how do we respond when we're in a place where there's pain, but also that there is a challenge within it? Because I think we see both of these. I think this is partly why, honestly, the outcome is so amazing, is because she is aware of her desires. She's also aware of her darkness. But we finish by looking also at her knowledge, not just of herself, her knowledge of Jesus. And I can, all I can really say is, in some ways, it was just enough. It was just enough. You know, I don't know this. I am speculating. But when I read this, my instincts are the pain of her daughter got her to the room, got her into this guy's presence, who she doesn't seem to particularly know. There's no indication that she even knew his name, just this miracle guy. And then he, she, she forces her way in. He says his response to her, and then she responds to him. And then he says, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And I don't know, but when I read that, I get goosebumps, because it's almost like there's something happening as she meets him and he meets her. And it's almost like maybe the Spirit of God is giving her the wisdom to receive that challenge and to come back with the crumbs genius can't push back what about the crumbs Jesus and I just feel like all she seems to have is this this very uh, minimal knowledge of who he is and yet her tiny mustard seed of faith gets her into the room gets her opening her mouth gets her active not just sitting there pondering endlessly assimilating more and more theology over years of going to church she's like ah! I'm, I'm present. And he, we, again, we in the West get obsessed with endless theology assimilation. I need to have more knowledge. And then we don't really do anything sometimes. She just does it. She's there and it's enough. And this is huge because Jesus, it's like he gives her the deepest, most glorious outcome she could have ever hoped. And yet, when we look at this, it's clear she probably didn't even really know anything about him. And again, when you think about the world that we live in, that is so like, well, yeah, you may well one day have a, a very high paid job and have a big, you know, st- position in this company, but you need to put in the hours, you need to put in the years, you need to put in the loyalty. And if you do this, if you work hard, you know, you reap what you sow. It's the air that we breathe. And yet what we see here is this incredible thing where she kind of walks away with her daughter totally, gloriously healed, and yet she doesn't really know anything about him. Amazing! Now, at one level, Jesus is not like a Coke machine, okay? We hear that all the time, and I believe it. You know, you can't just go, I want all my desires, Jesus. Give me a million pounds and a Lamborghini. Of course he's not like that. But the Bible's is grace! I mean, it's so outrageously gracious. What is your biggest desire? Your deepest longing? 
And, and as we come to the reality that, honestly, we don't really know this guy as much as we might think. Even if we've been walking with him a long time, the Bible says one day we shall, we shall see him face to face. And then we will be like him. But until that day, we see through a glass darkly. And we're like, oh, it feels very foggy. And I thought I knew Jesus. And now he's done that. And that's weird. And that's really hurts. And he didn't do that. I, I, I kind of know him and I kind of don't. Hallelujah. That mustard seed of faith is enough. Can I say hallelujah? hallelujah. It's enough. That's why, I mean, there's so many examples. We think being a Christian is like, well, God, you know, God gives um, lots of good things to the good people. No, God is kind to the evil. <laughs> He's kind and gracious. He makes the sun and the rain come on the righteous and the wicked, you know, and, and on the dogs, <laughs> you know, and on those of us who are such a mess. He's so kind. She must have gone home just like, I, I can't believe this. Like the greatest longing of my heart has been fulfilled by this guy who I didn't even really know. This is why as Christians we gather. This is why we move from Colchester, England, for six months because we are not, we are not represent, if you're a Christian, we're not representing a stingy God or a God who's really shocked at your behavior or your ethnicity or your gender or your knowledge or your lack of knowledge he is a god who is lavish oh friends this is true amen he's so look at your life count your blessings one by one and suddenly by the time you get to 10 you're like oh he's so kind and i know so little about him i mean i try and read the bible quite a bit but i i just find i'm like man jesus i i thought i know i knew you romans 4 I love this. I think it's verse 5. <clears throat> it's so scandalous. Paul, he says this when he's trying to explain the gospel to the Romans. He says, To him who does not work, right, okay, but trusts him, God, who, who, um, who, who, oh, sorry, to him who does not work. Let me get, let me get my Bible. Let me do this properly. I don't want to get this wrong. Romans 4, I love this verse. Romans 4, I think it's verse 5. I thought I'd memorized it, but there you go. I don't know him as much as I thought. <laughs> Four or five. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God, who justifies the ungodly or the wicked, it says in the ESV, their faith is credited as righteousness. Think about that. To the one who does not work, the couch potato, the bum, the one who won't go and get a job. Boo, we all say in our hearts. The lazy ones. To the one who does not work, who will not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked. He justifies the evil. You look at the life of Abraham and how many mistakes he makes, letting his wife be violated by a king right at the beginning. And God doesn't give up on Abraham. It's shocking. It's like, what? God, you can't be kind to that guy. Oh, no, no, he is. Because he's relentlessly covenanted to his people even when we make the worst mistakes of our life. It should make your stomach churn. It should make you confused. It should make you angry. The gospel should make you angry when you think about the grace of God to people who don't get it. And then you suddenly think, oh my gosh, but that's me. Before I judge and I wag, my sin is just as real. It may not be as obvious. Hallelujah for the grace of God. It's our own gather to say try hard you can try hard but ultimately he is the one who knew you before the foundations of the earth 
He's the one who knows every hair on your head. He's the one who sustains your lungs now and makes your heart go boom, diddy, boom, diddy, boom. He's the one that gives you everything you need for life and godliness. She knew him quarter of a percent is my guess. And I know him such a small amount. My hope is not in my knowledge of him. My hope is in his knowledge of me. Hallelujah. He knew her. He probably was like, Annette, at last I meet you. How is your life? Because I've planned it before I made Jupiter. And I've been watching you. And how is your wonderful daughter? Oh, I know. She's struggling. She didn't know him, but he knew her. Hallelujah. Do you ever have that experience when you turn up and everyone's like, we have heard about you. And you go, really? Oh, I don't even really know you. Oh, no. Everyone's been talking about you. We had that, when we had that experience when we moved to SF. Some dear friends of ours. Lots of people had, for some reason, been very nice to them about us. And when we turned up, I remember first meeting them and just feeling like, oh, wow. With their love for us, which felt really undeserved. And I was like, uh, what's your name again? You know, they were just like, we've heard so much. I love what J.I. Packer says in his stunning book. Oh, my microphone's popped off. I've actually broken it. Oh, there we go. I'll just hold it. Oh, it's magnetized. Okay. Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. Snazzy. Um, last quote, and then we'll, then we'll break bread. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the, in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me. Can I have a hallelujah? Or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes and builds up in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me, I love this, is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that, no, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself or quench his determination to bless me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. She tasted the Christian God. She came raw, in touch with her emotions, but also humble enough to admit, I, I, I know I'm broken. And she came with just enough. You, you're here. You physically got here. You've come just enough. You might have had a terrible week. You might feel completely unspiritual. You might feel about as Christian as a bag of cement. You know, but you're here and God loves you. He adores you. You can't outrun him as we've been singing. Your goodness, your goodness is running after, running after me. Hallelujah.